you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the last few verses, verses 13 through 16. This text gives us some advice, counsel, divine counsel on how to make plans for the future. In particularly, it's focused on making financial plans. In fact, I would think most of our planning is either for marriage or our finances planning for the future. And it doesn't matter where you're at in life, you're still seeking to make plans, financial plans. Uh, Early on, you've got to go to college or maybe a career-based decision, get a trade or go to school, making plans in that fashion. Then you're making plans all throughout your life about how to store up and save, invest for retirement. Making plans constantly seems to be dealing with money. And James addresses this and gives us some counsel as we make plans for the future. Read with me starting at verse 13 of chapter 4. Come now you who say today or tomorrow... We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So James is just making up a hypothetical situation that you're going to do something or go somewhere, make an investment, start a business, and the end goal is making money. Then verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So here he's going to give us some counsel about how to invest or how to make plans for our investments, how to make plans for our future. Uh, Gives us five truths to consider, especially in light of divine sovereignty. If you believe that God is sovereign, how should it affect your plans? How should it affect your, your own desires for the future, planning for the future. Five truths. The first truth that we need to consider is we don't know the future. We simply don't know what tomorrow holds. This is in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You make plans, but you don't really know. It's kind of a rebuke. You're making plans, but be honest. You don't know what you're talking about. It's almost, he gets a little later, says you're arrogant in these plans. Because you're assuming it's going to come about just the way you planned it. You're making assumptions here. And your assumptions is based upon arrogance. And such arrogance is sin. So it's a rebuke here that we don't know tomorrow, but we act and pretend that we do. And we need to be reminded when we make plans that we don't know tomorrow. We seem to forget this regularly because the world operates on the laws of nature and the laws of nature allows predictability for us. Scientists can tell you where the sun is going to be and the stars are going to be and the planets are going to be like clockwork. Tomorrow, the next day, the day after that, this is what's going to happen. And they can make projections. They can tell you when a comet is going to be here how close it's going to be to the earth. They make these plans and 
and, and tell you about the future because of the regularity of the laws of nature. And we assume because the sun comes up at the, essentially the same time, well, not today, essentially the same time every morning, we can go, well, I can predict the future because the future will be, for the most part, like it has been in the past. The second reason we, we assume that we know the future is because we've been able to make decisions in the past, and our past decisions, for the most part, in many cases, they've come true. I remember being in high school, said, hey, I want to go to college. Well, lo and behold, I went to college. Well, that plan fleshed out. And a lot of our plans come to fruition, and therefore we assume that we can make plans for tomorrow, and they will equally come to fruition. I mean, it seems like that's the way it works. We're in control. We get this idea that we are in control of our lives, and we can determine our destiny. We can control, control tomorrow. And we get into this conception that we are the ones that are controlling tomorrow by our planning of today. And James says, you need to be reminded. We all need to be reminded. We actually don't know the future. Imagine September the 9th, 9-9. Of 2001. Then September the 10th, you're living your life, you're making your investments, you're planning. You happen to work in New York City and you office is in the World Trade Center and you're going to work. You wake up, you drink your coffee, you plan your life just like it's always been. Did you expect a plane to crash into your building? I don't think anybody expected that that morning. Think about all the deaths on the highway on a regular basis. People die every day. Every day they meet the Lord. And I would imagine most of those deaths were unplanned. People didn't expect to die that day. They weren't putting that on their calendar. Oh, tomorrow die. It just happens. It happens. We all have lost a loved one. We've lost a family member unexpectedly, haven't we? On Tuesday night, I think it was Tuesday night, a big storm blew through. Um, and I woke up the next morning and we had one of our big trees down and a lot of branches down. And I was like, how did this happen? And when did this happen? And I was like, it just... And I thought to myself, this could have been much worse. Could have been much worse. I didn't expect to have branches down everywhere. What if it was a, a tornado that came through and devastated the home? You know, we don't know tomorrow. We don't know what may or may not happen. And thus, this is telling us in our plans, as we make plans, our plans need to be flexible. You know, in counseling, I think a lot of emotional stability, you know, a lot of people's problems are not the actual event of the problem, not the actual circumstances. I mean, we all have problems. We all have a flat tire when we're not expecting it. We're all delayed, can't find our keys when we need to get out of the house very quickly to be somewhere on time. And we get these frustrations. But really, the problem is not the event that's causing the emotional distress. It's the emotional distress that's the problem. You know, a lot of the counseling is dealing with people's emotions, not their actual events surrounding their life. People deal with anxiety and depression and fear and anger and all kinds of emotional distress. But I think part of our Inability to deal with our emotions comes with inability to deal with surprises in our life, our unplanned events. Things don't go the way we had planned or wanted to. And so I think emotional stability, in fact, I believe this, emotional stability comes with how quickly we can recalculate. 
you know how it goes. You've got this objective and you're set on it and you have your heart on it and you already see it materializing in your mind. And so it, you have to have it. You really want it. Then some comes up and it disrupts that. And then for two days or three days, maybe a couple of weeks, you're in disarray and you're emotionally unrest and sometimes it calls you it cripples you where you can't move you don't know what to do you become you get these panic attacks and you just kind of fizzle out or you get angry and then it takes a week or two three weeks and you go okay i now accept the new reality i was in denial for a while but now i accept the new reality and now i make new plans based upon the new data and once you have the new plans, you have a process of dealing with your emotions, and then off you go back on track. But the quicker we can take disappointments and recalculate, the better our emotional stability will be. Uh, James is telling you, you should expect surprises. Don't be surprised when you are surprised. Life is not going to go the way you plan. You don't know tomorrow. You can't predict tomorrow. Bottom line, when making plans, remember to, read, to be ready to adjust them along the way, or even change them if necessary. That's the first truth. The second truth is to consider when we make plans, especially if you're younger, remember life is short. It goes on to say in verse 14, what is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We're to remember that our days are few. Job 7.7, 7, remember that my life is but a breath. Psalm 39.5, you indeed have made my days as a hand breath, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Teach every man at his best exists but for a breath. Psalm 78.39, he remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. Psalm 102, verse 3, for my days vanish like smoke. Psalm 144, verse 4, man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. I never met an old man or talked to an old man who thought his life was long. My uncle was 98 years old when he passed. I remember 98 had a good mind and he says, you may think 98 is old, but for me it was like nothing. The Bible depicts our life like a flower of the, the grass. I mean, we have these yellow flowers popping up now, the daffodils. They're beautiful. They're here, and they're gone. The Bible says the sun rises and scorches the heat, withers the grass, all flesh is like grass, and the glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. First Peter 1. Psalm 103, a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over, and it is gone. This is why the Bible says beauty is vain. You look at these young, young teenagers, and uh, I was noticing the pictures of my children and I don't know if it's just me, but all their eyes are, are, are able to be wide open. And they're not trying for them to be open. The older you get, you know, your eyes get so squinched up, you know. And, it, and it's like your face is falling. And it's like, where, did, where is that coming from? And why? I mean, I'm 46, and I can't keep my eyes open. I mean, it... The Bible tells us our life is like a vapor. Breathe on a cold day and watch the warm air come out of your mouth. It lasts for a second, then it's just gone. You know, life speeds up as you go. My parents keep on saying, I said, Every time I talk to my mom and dad, they're telling me how fast life is. It's like, listen, I already got it. I understand. I understand. It's fast. You know, the first 20 years is the slowest. The next 20 years feels like 10. The third 20 years feels like seven and a half years. And I'd imagine the last 20 years is like 
feels like five years. It just speeds up and it's gone. And you can't go back and after the water is spilled, you can't put it back into the cup. You can't go back. You have midlife crisis because you want to regain that your childhood, your, your the glory days, but it's gone. They're gone. I was with my wife on a date Friday night. It's like we're celebrating 20 years of marriage. 20 years. Where's it gone? I mean, it's been great. And I, I told her, it's like, I think we're in the, the best days of our life right now. And she's like, well, does that mean it's it? this is it? <laughs> So life is short. You know, you can pay someone to mow your yard, but you can't pay someone to die for you. He's, James is telling us this in our plans for us to consider it. How should the reality of life being so short shape the way we plan tomorrow? One, it should cause us not to seek to be rich. I mean, this is in the context of those trying to make money. And James is saying, you don't even know about tomorrow. You don't even know if you're going to live. You don't know. Your life is so short. Uh, and then in chapter 5, it gets in this huge rebuke for the rich who laid up all their riches on earth. And every bit of their wealth is going to be a condemnation. And it's going to make their hell all the more hot. It's going to be, their, their wealth is going to be like a, a canker sore that eats at them. It's like, you don't want just to lay your treasures on earth. Life is short. Uh, Proverbs 23, 4, do not toll. Do not make it your aim. Don't make it your objective to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist, to stop. If you're making plans and your goal is money, stop now. Reevaluate this. Life is too short to live for this world. It's too short. You brought nothing into this life. You're not going to carry it away with you. So be smart enough to not make plans that's about making money. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's a bad investment. You're not thinking through these things. Life is too short. I mean, you're going camping. You don't, you don't deck out your tent with the finest furniture. You're camping. This world is not our home. We're pilgrims. We're strangers. We're just passing through. We're not to say, hey, okay, I have to have the finest things and the best of things. And You're in a tent. Your, your physical body's a tent. 1 Timothy 6, 9, those who want to be rich fall into temptations and become ensnared by many foolish and harmful desires. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Jesus gives us a parable in Luke chapter 12 about this very thing. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I mean, thinking about the most lovely person and the most wonderful person who's ever lived, the one that is our hero, the one we look up to. Look, look at the one that we're so impressed with, the one we worship, the one we pray, praise. That's the man, Jesus Christ. And he didn't have a home. Birds had their nest. But the Son of Man, he says, doesn't even have a place to lay down his head. He had nothing. But we don't go, well, that man was a failure. He wasn't successful. No, we look at the man Jesus Christ and go, that's the greatest man who's ever lived. And he's teaching us a man's life, and it does not consist. It's not about how much possessions he has. And then he goes on to tell a parable saying, the land of, of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down in my barns and build larger ones. 
And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. This is why James tells us in chapter 1, verse 9, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the mist, in the middle of his pursuits. Building the barns or saying today or tomorrow I'm going to go into the such and such a city. In the middle of your pursuing your wealth, your riches, you die. What a waste. What a waste of life. You wasted your life. You spent it on things you cannot keep. You see, the glory of this life will be soon gone. The Bible says about riches, Proverbs 23, 5, you will, set, will you set thine eye upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. Like an eagle, they fly away. Proverbs 27, 24, riches are not forever. If that be beauty or fame or athleticism or wisdom or education Ecclesiastes 2 for a person may labor with wisdom knowledge and skill and then they must leave it all to another this too is meaningless and a great misfortune Steve Jobs was interviewed right before he died and he knew he was dying and he says it's a, he's he wished that there was an afterlife. He says, because of all the knowledge I've gained, it seems to be a waste. He recognized that his life was empty at the end. This is why the Bible says, teach us to number our days. Psalms 90. Teach us to know that our life is short. Show me, Psalm 39, O Lord, my end and the measures of my day. Let me know the fl how fleeting my life is. So in your plans, James is saying, keep this in mind. As you make your plans and your strategies and your desires for the future, keep in mind your life is really short, and that should change the way you make your plans. It should alter the way you think about tomorrow. Moses says, oh, that they were wise, that they may understand this that they would consider their latter end. So when you make plans, consider your deathbed. Consider the day after you die. Make your plans with that in mind. What do you want to do with your life? And once you're at the end, what would you have to be done? You know, one of the greatest questions you can ask, oh man, what would you do different? And if we were to be wise, we would follow that advice. And there's always pray more, right? Pray more. And, I, and I'll put, you, put this one. Invest more in the kingdom of God. Every person, on the moment they're dead, every Christian person, would, would and I know we're going to think the same way. You're going to think this one day. I wish I would have gave more to God. I wish I would have lived more for eternity. I didn't need that vacation home. I did not have to have that extra. I didn't need that amount of money in the bank account. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have money or a vacation home. But we need to recognize with little even if we have little, with that we should be content. And if we were wise, we'd take a, if I was wise, I speak to myself, if I was wiser, I have enough to invest. 
you know, I have enough now to, to give more than what I give. Not just money, but time. Give your time, which is more valuable than money. Uh, this should be a controlling uh, metric in our decision making, a controlling desire. How do I live and invest for eternity? How do I lay up more treasures in heaven? How do I do all that I do for the glory of God? Is what I'm doing or my plans bringing God glory? And if it doesn't, we should say, I need to alter that. I need to change that. I need to readjust these things. Sometimes it would be best to work less and be home with my kids more. Maybe it would be best to not make that extra amount of money and, and, and be content with little so that I can give more time to this or that. You always have more opportunity. There's always the lure to do more and more and more and make more and more money. This should, this should lead us, to, if we think our life is short, it should lead us to go, how do I work while it's still daylight? Because the Bible says the night is coming when no one's going to work. If what we do now determines the, uh, the treasures that we have in heaven, now I, I don't know 100% if this is true or not, but I speculate that in this life is, the, is going to determine the measure of treasures we have to enjoy for all of heaven. And so this life is short, so eternity is forever. If we were wise, it's like, how do I invest? Well, got an extra dollar, put it over here. Put it in eternity. Put it, not just dollar, I'm just, with your efforts and your energy and your time and your affections. Don't set your affections on, this, on the world. Don't say, when you make plans, be motivated for worldly interests or temporal interests. How do, how do I live for eternity? And are these plans pushing me to that end? If not, may I readjust my plans? So that's the second truth that we should consider when we make plans. The third truth we should consider when we make plans, we see in verse 15, God has already made plans for our lives. We should consider God's sovereignty. Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You know, I don't even know I'm going to be alive tomorrow, but if it's up to the Lord, he's planned it. Now, you're making plans, but remember, God's already made his plans, and his plans are eternal and set. Your plans are not set. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. So God's made plans for you. He's made his decrees related to your life. He's, as we'll learn on Wednesday, he's predestined your future. And that should shape our planning. God's plans always come about. Psalm 33, 11, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purpose of his heart through all generations. What the Lord plans, he does. And no one can alter those plans or change those plans. His plans are firm. We don't know tomorrow, but God does because he's determined tomorrow. In other words, God's plans trump our plans. Remember that and want that. Not to say I get frustrated when God surprises you with the unknowns of life and get, oh, this is disrupting my plans. Don't have that attitude up front. Go, hey, this is what I plan on doing, but only if the Lord wills, I'm ready for those plans to be adjusted according to his will. And his will is greater than my will, so I can accept disappointments because it's God's plans for my life is what I'm more worried about than my own plans. That is Subjugate or submit your plans. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans of the mind of men, but the purpose of the Lord, that will stand. Lamentations 3.37, who has spoken it has come to pass and the Lord, unless the Lord has commanded it. Proverbs 19.21, many plans are in the man's heart, but the purpose of the Lord will prevail. Jeremiah 10.23, I know the Lord, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is in his own. 
is not in his own. No one who walks directs. No one who walks directs his own steps. Proverbs 16:9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord is the one who establishes his steps. Now, so we see that there are two plannings. We got our plans, God's plans. But our plans can only come to fruition if, if they're a part of God's plans. And often our plans are not a part of God's plans. Do you think Saul, when he was persecuting the church, expected to be converted that day? Think about your own life. You don't have to live very long to realize where you're at today is not necessarily what you had in vision 10 years ago. We're all here at this particular moment through a lot of circumstances that we did not predict or understood at the time. And now here we are, all according to God's plans, not necessarily according to our own. Now this truth that God's plans trump ours, that God's plans are certain, ours are not, should cause us to plan differently. In fact, verse 15 says, instead you ought to say, not my will be done, but if the Lord's will, this is what I have planned to do tomorrow. Uh, but you know what this doesn't mean? It doesn't mean that we give up planning. Don't take this counsel and say, okay, I'm just going to plan nothing. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say don't make plans. It says when you make plans, make plans, make good plans. But be ready to submit those plans to God. One of the biggest problems of our young people today is they don't have plans. They don't make plans. They don't have a vision. They don't have direction. They don't, you know, without a vision, a purpose, uh, there's no discipline. And that's why they don't launch out of the home. They just want to um, watch video games. And that's their plans. They have not, nothing more, no higher expectations or greater vision in life than just to sit around and do nothing and Watch TV, aimless, without direction. In fact, this is the message of the world. Live for today. Don't have plans for tomorrow. Don't have objectives where you don't need sacrifice, discipline, goals, or aspirations. Young people, you need aspirations. You need plans. You need to think about not just for today. That's the way animals live. At least some animals are smarter than humans. They at least prepare for the winter. But some humans, some humans are fools. They don't think about tomorrow. However, though we are to make plans, good plans, we need to submit our plans. Submit them as we make them. Not wait till they get altered, but before they get altered. Say, Lord, this is what I have in mind, but I'm already ready to submit them to your will. And so this is the message. It's like, well, you know, it's not just so we go around saying, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. Now, that's a good thing to say. It's a good thing to remind yourself, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this or that. I hear people say that all the time. I would commend you to say that. That way you can keep it in the back of your head, in the front of your head. If the Lord wills, I'm going to see you tomorrow. If the Lord wills, that's good. But the, the teaching is not that we just say this phrase, the Lord wills. It's that we, in our heart, have submitted our plans to God. God, if it's possible, let me do this. But nevertheless, it's not my will that I want. I want your will to be done. Now, is that how we feel every morning? Is that how we feel about our plans? You want something so bad. I want to be married. I remember at 21, I wanted to be married before I was 22. And like, where is this marriage at? It wasn't happening. Like, it's outside of my control. I couldn't make it happen. Uh, there's other first things that frustrate us and that irritate us and that get us upset. We get angry and mad about it even. And we think God doesn't care about us. And and it's because we think our plans should be God's plans. It, it, this is why we'll get in a minute. This is arrogant. It's evil to think that we are as wise as God and God should bend his decrees towards our fallible and 
foolish decisions. Listen, if God hasn't given you what you planned for, it's because you didn't know what you needed. Every day you have disappointments. View every disappointment. Now, I'm talking about disappointments. It's, it's God saying, you know when providence happens, that was God's decree. Every bad thing, or what you may consider to be bad, every disruption, frustration towards your plans. You know, I, I, wanna, I really wanted to get the house clean today, but, you know, five things happened, and I had to put out this fire and that fire, and I didn't even get to the, the chores I planned to do, and I'll feel aggravated at the end of the day that I didn't get done what I wanted to get done. You know how that, how you feel, you know, you go to work and you have these things you got to get done. And, but this stuff comes up and you taking off your attention, you got to deal with this. And then it's like, oh, I wanted to do this. And you're mad, you're upset, you're become grumpy, disgruntled. It's like that could have prevented, you could have prevented those emotions. If you would have woke up and said, Lord, this is what I want to get done today. But I know you know best, and whatever you set before me, and whatever distracts me that I need to do, I have to take care of, I view that as your commands, as your plans for my life that are better than my plans, and I will submit to those willfully and willingly, for my plans are only if you will. Also, Paul, when he left Athens in Acts chapter 8, he says, I want to come back to you. My plans are to come back, if the Lord wills. That's our life. We don't know the future. But we can trust that God knows best, and his plans are better than ours. The fourth truth we should consider as we make plans for our future is remember that we're not God. Remember that. You're not God. Verse 16 says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and such boasting is evil. That is, this idea that we're, we're going to say tomorrow, I'm going to do this and that, and we, we state it with such certainty, with such confidence this is going to be. It just is because I say it's going to be. It's like, well, one, you have no clue if that's true or not. It may or may, it may happen, it may not happen. But the fact that you assume that will happen is arrogant. It's arrogant. I mean, could you imagine your three-year-old coming up to you and saying, hey, tomorrow we're going to do this? You know, um, it would be just it would just be arrogant right um, in fact it says such boasting such arrogance is evil it's sinful so I think the point of this is saying that we assume that we're God with such plans. We're, we're thinking that our plans are like decrees. It's certain to come about. And I believe much of our emotional problems, I'm not saying all of our emotional problems. I'm not equating every time we're frustrated or sad or anxious or depressed or happy. I'm not saying our emotional problems are all rooted to this. But much of the time, we have emotional problems due to the fact when we bump up to the harsh reality that we're not God. Now, do this thought um, uh, with me. Consider this. Draw a circle in your mind. Okay? And put a dot right in the middle of that circle. That dot represents you. The space outside the circle, everything outside the circle, the things you don't care about because those are the things that you don't perceive will affect your life. They, 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 well, they won't interfere. That's the stuff in the outer space. That's what's going on maybe in China and Russia. However, now we're being worried about that a little bit. But then inside the circle are all the things that could potentially derail your plans and frustrate your your, your desires 
to fulfill your dreams. Those are the things you worry about. That's where your emotions are contained. Your, your emotions are contained in the things that, you're, that you love. Without love, you have no emotions. So your love and the things you tell them determines what you hate. So your, your, your love is your, the controlling metric of all your emotions. And so you have all these things in your life. Are, and then put a line right in the middle of that circle. And everything to the right of the line, which would be your, this side of you, Everything on the right of that line is the future, and everything to the left of the line is your past. Now, your emotions are contained within that circle, and, and the things of the past is what you're potentially depressed about, sad about. The things in the future are what you're anxious about, for the most part, and the things in the present are what you potentially could be angry about. So your, your, your emotions are, ta are tagged and connected to your past, present, future, and the thing, stuff in the circle is the things you want to control. And you have all these emotional frustration because you realize these things are outside of your control. You know, you didn't want your spouse to die. And now you're depressed. And you, it's hard to accept that. You're, you're going through denial. And it takes a while to, to embrace that and readjust your plans or recalculate with this new awful data of the death of your spouse. Or that you've got this... You're realizing that your plans are, are so feeble. You don't know if it's going to come about. You're worried about tomorrow. You're worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. You're worried about just the stability of the future. So that's your anxiety about the future. But you want to control everything in the circle. And you can let God have everything outside the circle. You say, God, that's your realm. Everything outside of the circle, you take care of. You take care of those people in China. You take care of the animals throughout the world. I don't care about that. That's your dominion. But inside the circle, that's mine. That's my area. I control that. But how much of that circle, your life, do you actually control? Well, you don't control the past. Can't change that. Now... You wish you could, and your emotions are saying, I hate that, I hate that, I wish I could readjust that or change that. So you have to work through that. And we learn in this text, you can't control tomorrow. You can't control the future, so that's out of your control too. That's in God's hand. Well, what does that leave you? Well, if you can't control the past or the future, it leaves you the moment. And you realize you really, if you can only control the moment, I'm not talking about two moments from now or three moments or five moments. That's the future. You, you can't even, you could die right now. You can't control even two seconds from now. But what has God says that you can control, even to some limited amount? You can control the now. But even that's very restricted. You can't jump to the moon. You can't fly across the country. You, you can say, I can stay seated, or I can get up, or I can scratch my head, or you've you got some decisions to make. But when you reduce it down, you really don't have a lot of decisions. It's really in your power. And you become frustrated because of that. It's the realization that you're not God. You want things to be different. You like to change them. So a lot of times our emotional problems in part come when we bump up against the reality that we're not God. And we don't trust God. Or when we don't like God's plans. But this text is telling us if the Lord wills to trust God and not to view ourselves as God. Don't be arrogant. for This is evil. So what's the solution to many times to our emotional frustration, anxiety, anger, depression, whatever it may be? Well, potentially our solution is make sure we submit ourselves to God's will. I'm not saying that God's will is always, for the time being, pleasant. They include trials, troubles. But we've already learned in James that we're to even rejoice, rejoice in the midst of these trials. 
We can rejoice because God is in control of them. You could really be depressed and sad if you thought God wasn't in control of your life. If you were facing calamity and there was no purpose or meaning, there was no good to come out of that, that would be awful. But if you believe in God, that he's in control, then when bad things happen, you can go, this is needed. It must be needed or it would not have happened. Trust God. And the more we can trust God with our plans, our lives, the easier it is to sleep on a boat when there's a storm. Wake up, Jesus. Do you not care that we perish? He's sound asleep. Well, he's tired. Well, he trusts God. And you can trust God with your life even if it feels like you're in the middle of a storm. God knows best in order to submit our plans to Him and be willing to adjust them according to His will. Um, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean upon your own understanding. Remember the Apostle Paul, I'll give you this illustration, it's always done me good. Paul's in prison and he doesn't know if he's going to live and die. And he's writing to the Philippians and he says, I know you're worried about me, you're praying for me. And he's got this uh, trial coming up and he doesn't know if it's going to lead to a death sentence or his freedom. And he says, but I'm, I'm rejoicing, don't worry about me, I'm in a good mood. <laughs> I mean, would you be good, in a good mood and happy Relying upon trusting God and rejoicing. If you're in prison and you think, hey, I could be in prison for a lot longer. I could face, be facing death or I could be liberated. I don't know. And the reason he's able to rejoice under such hard, difficult circumstances is because his goal in life was God's glory. And the reason he's not mad is because he didn't make some temporal purpose his life. The reason we, we, we don't want our plans to be adjusted is because we've made an idol sometimes out of our plans. And God says, listen, I'm going to, you may want that really bad, but that's not going to happen. But it's only when you put your plans into eternity and God's glory is the purpose of your life that you can say, if you can only say this, you can say this, to me, to die is gain. You can only say that if you can currently say, for me to live is Christ. And so Paul says, I'm in a win-win situation. I, I, I have a desire to be free. That's better for you. I kind of desire to have my, but at the same time, if I die, that's to be with Christ, and that's far better. So that's a win. But if, I let, if I'm free, I, I'm going to come and try to, Minister to you and lay up more treasures in heaven. I have a little longer time to, to work for the Lord, and that's also a win. You see, he was in a position that no matter what happened to him, he could glorify God. And, there's, and here's the point I'm making. No matter where you're at, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you're facing, no matter if your plans are coming to fruition or they're not, you're never not in a position that you cannot glorify God. Often when I do counseling, I'll bring people in and they tell me all the terrible past. And then I, we have to come to this point. Eventually we come to this point. It's like, okay, now that we can't change, what do we do at this moment? And that leads me to my last truth. The fifth truth to consider your plan should always begin with obedience. Look at verse 17. So whoever knows the, the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, I think in context, James is saying, hey, you know all these other four truths. Now you know that. You know not to say, it's my will, but the Lord's will be done. Now you know how to plan. Now, if you don't do it this way, it's sin. I think that's what he's saying. But I also think you can make application in this that there's never an occasion in your planning that the, the right thing to do is to do what God tells you to do at the moment. That is, in your plans for tomorrow, focus on doing what's right for today. It starts with obeying God today. You know, 
In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, uh, Jesus is preaching this sermon, and he brings up anxiety over and over and over again. He gives 14 solutions to anxiety, and I'm going to let you go fish those out if you're anxious. But he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. These are what the Gentiles worry about. I've already taken care of that. You can trust me. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. That, you can trust me on this. But you know what he doesn't say? Jesus doesn't say, don't do anything. You get someone whose mind's a mess, and you say, hey, just go take a nap. That's not the right solution. Their mind needs to be focused on something. And two things you need to focus your mind on, on eternity, way, way from here, and then on this moment. See, the devil would have you focus on tomorrow and not today, tomorrow and not eternity. So get your mind off tomorrow into eternity and then back on today. It's only when you're living for eternity you go, today, this moment, you know, this is the moment I can control. I can't control the past, I can't control the future, but this is the moment I can control. And this is what Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. You focus on today. Focus on what's set before you today. Sometimes when someone's depressed, you say, hey, you just need to get out of bed. You just need to, you need to get, go brush your teeth. It starts with just a simple, what do you know you need to do? What's right? How do you glorify God at this moment? You do what's right now. Um, see, you see, there's no situation that we're in. There's no altering of plans that God may do. That doesn't put us in a place that we cannot bring God glory. Every frustration is an opportunity to bring God glory. Every change of plans is an opportunity to do your ultimate plan. Live for God. So here are the five truths to consider as we plan for tomorrow. One, remember that you don't know the future. Remember that life is short. Remember that God already has made plans for you. Fourth, remember that you're not God. And finally, your plans begin with obedience. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do make plans all the time, but help us to keep these important truths in our mind. Lord, we thank you. We take a moment to ponder the fact that we're so thankful that you're sovereign. We would, we would be truly disturbed to think that you ceased to be sovereign and life was up to us. And our plans had to be the right plans or otherwise we would, wouldn't have the best life. Lord, help us not to be anxious about tomorrow. Help us to make plans that's good and holy view eternity as we make them. But help us also, dear Lord, to be ready to adjust them and submit to what you have for us. For it's only according to your will we will be able to live or do this or that. This we pray in your son's name. Amen.